All right. Well, um, we are in uh, Isaiah 55, and we're going to just kind of look through it again, uh, maybe from a little bit different perspective, and and go back and revisit just a couple things I touched on last week, um, because it seemed like the the passage was was too rich to to really um, uh, cover properly uh, in one in one session, and then. Uh, also because um, uh, Isaiah 56 uh, starts what some people think is maybe a whole new section of Isaiah. So I think it's worth um, spending just a a bit more time in Isaiah 55. Now just to recap, um, uh, there were, you could look at uh, several sections of uh, Isaiah 55 and verse 1 starts the first section. Uh, again, to use our paraphrase, yo, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. So the invitation there is to come. And we see over and over in those next verses, you know, come, come, you know, uh, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, come to me. Verse 2 says, listen carefully to me, do what is good. Uh, verse 3, incline your ear to me, you know, come, come to me, come to me. Um, so I think in, in verse 1, if you just circle that word come, uh, that gives you a, a key word there for uh, those verses. And then arguably you could say the next section starts in verse 6 where it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And we're going to look at this verse a little bit more, but uh, certainly seeking the Lord. And I think uh, circling that word gives you a clue as to uh, the verses that follow, uh, certainly um, uh, at least as far down as 10 and perhaps to the end of the chapter, uh, seeking the Lord, it, it makes you think of, of a couple of conditions, right? If you're looking for an alternative, then kind of by definition, you're probably not real happy with where you are now, right? Um Anyone who's been in business, you know, what is the purpose of advertising? Certainly part of it is to introduce someone to what your services are, but mainly you want to make people unhappy with what they've got now, right? Advertising was not designed for people who are content. It wants to make you, well, I guess it is designed for people that are content. It wants to make you uh, not content, with the status quo. So someone who's seeking is someone who's realized that there's something wrong with the right now. So therefore I'm seeking for something else and I need to figure out where is my hope for the future. So it says seek the Lord while he may be found. So uh, a good key word for that section. And then one commentator in I think an effort to kind of really pull in the fact of Isaiah's focus not just on uh, the the promised you know people his his chosen people but also this offer that we realize in chapter fifty five is is not just for uh, his chosen people or the people in exile but for everyone uh, Gentiles too he goes on down and looks at chapter fifty six so we're going to look at that just briefly in in this one particular context. And the key word there is, is to worship. 
So we have come, seek, and then worship. So just as, a, as an introduction to next week, let's look at 56. It says in verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Preserve justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing evil. Now listen to this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. And also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, every one of them who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, I'll bring them to the holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. How amazing this is to say, you know, you who see yourself as outside of my kingdom, You don't have to worry. I'm not going to put you out. Rather, you're going to be invited to worship me. You're going to be part of this. And we know that, you know, one of the one of the things that we all have inside of us is to is the sense of belonging. I want to belong to something that's, you know, greater than myself. And and here's saying, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be part of this. So, it starts with, and I think this is fair, even, even though there are reasons that 56 may go better with the rest of the book, if you see this progression of verse 1, this call out in the marketplace, come, come see what I have, what I've got is better for you, and it ends with, and once you're in, you're really in. Once you're part of my family, you're really part of my family. You get to share in all the benefits. Your sacrifices are going to be accepted just like anyone else's. There's going to be no difference. And this is the gospel, right? This is the good news that, that the invitation is open to everyone. So I think uh, those, those key words, to come, to seek, and to worship, I mean, that's, that's the gospel right there, right? That is the gospel. All right, so let's go back and look a little bit at some other key sections. Back to verse 3 of chapter 55. Incline your ear and come to me, listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. I alluded to this um, last week about the, the Davidic covenant or the, the covenant with David. So we're going to look briefly at that and, and 
how does understanding a little bit more about God's promise to David help us understand this section of Isaiah a little bit more? So if you flip back to 2 Samuel 7, and whoever gets it first, shout out the page number and your... There we go. You kind of knew it was going to be Pat, didn't you? I mean, you just kind of knew. Second Samuel 7. And uh, I, I guess we'll just, uh, I'll, I'll just mention a couple verses. So um, the, the lead into this is... Uh, verse verse 1, Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Now remember, the tabernacle was, in essence, a portable temple, right? It was made... To travel around through uh, the wilderness, it was it, it had the various curtains dividing the uh, holy areas and the holy of holies and so forth. But it was it was basically a tent, um, a very nice, very complex, very uh, meaningful tent, but a tent, and it had been through a lot, of course. And David's saying, you know, it's not right that I have this big palace and God's in a tent. And I want to fix that. And so he says, I, I want to fix that. And, um, you know, that was his intention. And, and we know that God said, you know, um, there's peace now, but you've been a man of war and, and you've, you've had to shed some blood. And that's not really all I'm about. So... So you're not going to be the one to build a temple, but you know your son will. And he goes on down, and we have additional words for David through Nathan in, in verse 8. It says, Now therefore thus you, you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him and he'll be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rods of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness will not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And then these last key verses. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. 
Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me, and your throne shall be established forever. So when we go back to Isaiah 55, and it says, in verse 3, I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. So I got to thinking, well, what, what, what does that mean? How, how do we make this connection? And I think it's interesting that this little phrase, according to the mercies, can mean a couple different things. And I think that's probably on purpose. So it says, so I think one way to read this is that this is going to be a covenant like the one I had with David. So you think about David, as it says, when he first started in, in, there in 2 Samuel, it was a time of peace. The enemies had been defeated, and there was a time of peace. Uh, the people were blessed under his rule because of that. There was security and protection. The other thing that I think is interesting, if you think about David, I mean, at, this message, of course, came through Nathan the priest, but we have so many of the Psalms of David that shows that unlike some kings, he really didn't need an intermediary, an intermediary to, to talk to God, right? David's psalms are, are very personal, that he had this direct connection with God, which was, it was not typical, right? I mean, typically the, the people of Israel, they related to God via their priest and, and the, the sacrifices that were done and and there was this intermediary, but but Jesus, really, I mean, um, David uh, really had this personal connection. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. From one shepherd to another. He's saying, you know, I need a shepherd too in this very personal language. So I think one of the ways that that David's promise gets translated to them is, is in effect God saying, you know, I'm going to protect you. There's going to be safety there. And, and I've, I've got you in, in a very personal way. So I think in that way, this covenant, it says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, is going to be like it, the one to David because it's going to be uh, personal, safe, and protected. I think another way you could look at the word according to is, is to say, because God made the covenant, with David, the I think the manifestation of that is the exiles could feel they're going to be they're going to be um, pulled back into God's good graces. We know David messed up, right? This was not the first time Nathan had to talk to David. Um, severe sin in David's life, but yet. In spite of that sin, God made covenant with him. And I think here we have people who were in exile because they had broken their promise, saying, you know, you're back. Uh, the exiles are, are coming back, and, and this new covenant is going to be a new relationship that I'm going to make with you, and this one's going to be everlasting. And it says, according to the faithful mercies... God showed mercy to David. We'd expand on that and call it grace, 
even more so for us. And then I think the third way that we could look at how the covenant with David could be received as good news for the people in Isaiah's day was that they get to be part of the fulfillment of that covenant, of this you remember the covenant to David was that this is going to be everlasting and your throne is going to be established from now on. Well, how did that happen? Well, of course, we know it's because Jesus was in the line of David. Jesus was the new and better David. And anyone who comes to Jesus gets to be part of this covenant. So if you look at verse 5, which we, again we looked at a little bit last week, Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. You're going to be having a role in pulling other people into this covenant. Just like David helped establish security and protection and, and uh, a secure place with God, you're going to get to pull people into the kingdom. You're going to be part of my instrument at fulfilling this covenant because one day people are going to come to Jesus because of what I've done with you. This is one of those great evidences that God has continued to deal with his people in much the same way throughout history, right? It's been identifying and calling people to himself and promising that they're going to be connected with him. and He hasn't changed. All right. The second section I want to look at a little more closely is in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So here we have this condition. Seek the Lord while he may be found. We talked a little bit last time that this gives you the, the understanding that the invitation is not always going to be there. That there is there's a period of time when, when you can seek the Lord, a period of time when you can find him, but it's not going to be forever. And the best illustration we have of this is in Luke chapter 14. So if you turn quickly there, this is, I think the clock moves faster between 10 and 11 on a Sunday than it does in any other time of, of, the, of the week. This is the parable, I'll kind of gloss over it, but this is a parable about of a banquet while Jesus was having a banquet. Makes perfect sense, right? So if you look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 14, and it came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, and they were all watching him closely. I'm sure tons of sermons have just been on that, right? I mean, how do we relate with the world? You can either be with the world or you can segregate yourself from the world, right? Uh, what did Jesus do? He was breaking bread with people who were uh, 
not Christians, who were not good people. They were the, um, the heretics. They were the uh, stick in the muds. They were the people who had, had really not been good stewards of the old covenant, let alone uh, how to handle the new covenant. Um, but he's, he's talking with them, and then the first six verses uh, is one of those great things where he uh, pins the attorneys in the, in the bunch down about uh, when is it okay to heal on the Sabbath. And then in verse 7, he starts talking about um, uh, who do you invite to these feasts that you're having, and why do you invite them? Um, it appears to me, Jesus is saying, that you invite people that will probably be able to turn around and invite you down the road. Uh, he said, don't do that. Um, you need to invite, if you look, look at the verse 13, it says, but, oh, verse 12, it says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and so forth. I was reading about this passage and one commentator said that he preached on this one day that you're really supposed to invite the poor, the disabled, the blind, and all this sort of stuff. And the next week he got three dinner invitations. <laughs> he says, really sweet, but I wasn't sure what to think about it. Um, but then the key here in verse 16, and you know this story, um, the owner says, I'm going to prepare a feast. And then he goes to notify all those that have been invited, hey, it's ready, come on. And he's met with a bunch of excuses. One says in verse 18, you know, I've, I've got some land. I need to go check it out. Verse 19, and one says, you know, I bought some new oxen, and I've just, just been itching to give them a test run. And verse 20 says, well, I've got a wife, so... Obviously. And the slave come back, verse 21, and told his master, and the master says, okay, fine, go out, find me some other people, right? And then he says, go out again, find me some other people. And verse 24 says, because I'm going to tell you, none of those that were invited are going to taste of my dinner. So the first invitation we actually don't read about, because if you were going to make a big meal for this large group of people, there was a lot of prep, right? There's, you don't go down to the local market. You had to go get some animals and slaughter them up and butcher them. And I mean, they had already probably RSVP'd to this thing. All he had to do was go tell them when it was finally ready, right? I mean, picture, this was probably things roasting over open pits for half a day, that sort of thing. And it's then when they start giving the excuses, the, the second invitation. And the point of it is there wasn't a third invitation uh, because seek the Lord while he may be found. While he's able to be found, the banquet is laid out. When he's not able to be found, it's not available for you. It's not an option. Back to 55. 
We didn't look at it too much, but I do want to mention a couple of ver- uh, things on um, beginning with verse 11. I guess, actually, probably verse 10. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eaters, show shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Um, Verse 12, you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. There are several audiences for this, just like much of prophecy. For the exiles who had been away for so long, long enough, remember, that they were told, get married, have kids, start a new life. But when they came back, the joy of seeing their home was probably best expressed by how creation would have felt just amazing. This is also... A picture, as many have said, this is, this is what it feels like when you meet Christ. Joy just coming out because the Holy Spirit has come in. But then we know this ultimate healing, right? When all the earth is made right again, within new heaven and new earth and all that, that's when this is going to be ultimately fulfilled. And it's about creation. And there's so much symmetry in Scripture. How does the Bible start? Where does it start? It starts with nothing, and very quickly we're in the Garden of Eden, and it's all about creation. And it was good, and it was good. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good all the way until it wasn't good. And in the New Testament, we hear this verse, creation is waiting for things to be put right again. Creation is waiting. This is what it's going to be like when creation doesn't have to wait anymore. This is going to be like when it's all made right again. And this, I think, is the key. We talked about the interpreting Scripture and applying Scripture. Verse 11, So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth that shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. You know, that verse has been, no doubt, very appropriately applied that when you get God's word into people's hands things happen when God's word goes into our heart and we meditate on it things happen but think about this verse 11 is all about future tense so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me empty 
a good case can be made there that this is, there will be some words made, some words said by God when it's all fixed. That word, when God says, it's time, remember Jesus doesn't even know. When God says it's time, those will be the words that will not return empty without accomplishing what he desires and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Those will be the words. Those final words that say it really is finished. And I'd never thought about that verse in that way until I was studying, but I think that's a pretty good, a pretty good way to look at it. And then it makes verse 12 and 13 fall into place. All right, we better quit. Comments before we go? All right, I forgot to mention Larry and Sue. Thank you for coming. You're welcome anytime. Very good. Let's close. Father, we thank you so much that you have been planning for our future from before there was a future. From before there was time, You've said there was going to be a time for us individually to seek you and to find you, but that there's going to be a day when it's all going to be finished because you spoke the words that made it happen. Thank you for Jesus, through which we can share in David's promise. In his name I pray, amen.